Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Beers and Ballots, the only show where we drink Wisconsin brews and talk Wisconsin news. This week, tariffs terrify Wisconsin breweries. Walker struggles to bail out the juvenile justice system. The DNR works on ozone zoning. And what's the drinking age again? My name's Adam. And I'm Steven. And Stephen, what are we drinking this week? Okay, Adam, today we've got a really interesting one. It's from Milwaukee Brewing Company. It's called OG. OG, and it's got, it looks like a Godzilla-type thing on the, on the, yeah. on the front here. Yeah, and it's, it's in cans, which, uh, well, <clears throat> hold on to that. Okay, to that yeah. Idea. Okay, so. Let's get a little bit of beer in the mic there. Oh, yes, perfect. Yeah. Um, so this is a really interesting, it's a tea-infused beer, a Rishi tea-infused beer. Interesting. Um, it clocks in at 9.2%, oh so yes, we are, keep outdoing ourselves here. Yeah. <laughs> it's not very hoppy, 24.5 IBUs. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, this this is a collaboration, Milwaukee's Rishi tea. Mm-hmm. Um they say it's got Asian character to this monster wheat beer, is what they say. <laughs> um, oh, cool. So yeah. it's a wheat beer. All right. Well, cheers. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Mmm. Oh, that's good. Wow. Yeah. So really that's interesting really taste. Um, sort of weedy, but also has um, interesting sort of hints of... of uh, different tea and spices in the background as mm-hmm. well. So it's not just a, a standard wheat beer. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really, I mean, you can definitely taste the tea in there. It's really interesting. I love the, the, the design on the cans here. It's very cool. Yes, a monstrous <laughs> tea-infused wheat yeah. is what they call it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so this is um, recent brew by um, Milwaukee Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's quite good. It comes in pint cans. Yeah. Um, and because of the high alcohol content, they also... Uh, I've been brewing what's called a Logi, which is the same brewer, but with lower alcohol content. So if you're, if you're oh, a little good. put off by the ABV of this yeah, one, by the, by the almost 10%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't fear. Uh, you, you can pick up a, a lower alcohol content. Version Do they have a non-alcoholic called Noji? Noji? I think maybe that's it's still in the works. Okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of demand for uh, non-alcoholic beers. And so it's interesting that this uh, beer is in a can. Uh I think that's the first time that we've had uh, a beer from can on this podcast. I think and, you're right, yeah. And our first story uh, tonight is actually about uh, cans, beer cans specifically. Oh, okay. So, uh, so this article is um, uh, features heavily the remarks of uh, Brad Stillmank, uh, who is the owner of Stillmank Brewing Company in Green Bay. So, if we have any listeners in Green Bay, uh, feel free to pick up a six pack of your favorite Stillmink Brewing Company beer. Unfortunately, it's a little bit too far for us. Mm-hmm. I checked. There's there's nothing too local here. But uh, this is Brad Stillmink talking about um, the effect of these recent tariffs, which maybe you've heard about. So uh, Donald Trump uh, uh, has recently uh, slapped some hefty tariffs on the imports of steel and aluminum. Um, Starting what uh, uh, some people are, are calling a, a trade war. But Adam, are trade yeah. wars easy to win? <laughs> Depends on who you ask. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, anyway, so 
there's going to be these tariffs, um, and there's going to be a lot of effects to these tariffs. Uh, one of them, I mean, so, so this is steel and aluminum, right? Uh, and what are uh, beer cans made out of mm-hmm. aluminum? Yeah, uh, yeah. And so, so uh, what Brad Stillman says is, uh, for businesses, sm- uh, you know, that are small, like like his, and and even large uh, businesses. Um, a lot of them use aluminum, and, and this tariff will end up raising the prices of the raw materials for, for them and for, for anyone else who uses it. Yeah, um, and, and for reference as to whether or not you think that these particular uh, tariffs are going to help Wisconsin, Wisconsin has 983 uh, uh, workers in the steel and aluminum industry, uh, but it has over 200,000 Wisconsin workers that are in industries that use these metals. Um, including people like Brad Stillmink. Wow. So a tariff that's designed to try to you know help American jobs yeah. might actually end up maybe not doing that, depending on how. No. Actually, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think you know these decisions are made at the national level, but certainly on the state level, it's not doing us any favors. Wow. Yeah. Um, and and there's other effects of these tariffs as well, right? So you know you limit the the amount of uh, aluminum and steel coming into this country well, then there's going to be retaliation, right? Mm. And uh, the European Union in particular has uh, already threatened tariffs on uh, Wisconsin cranberries and Harley-Davidson motorcycles, <laughs> which I've, is very specific, yes. right? And, you know, I mean, I'm sure that, look, I love Wisconsin cranberries. I'm sure there's a lot of people out in the European Union that love their Harley-Davidsons. But this isn't a coincidence that they're targeting no. these particular things, right? It's because of uh, it's because of uh, Paul Ryan. Mm-hmm. So they have targeted um, uh, key exports of uh, the states, you know, for Nancy Pelosi, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, right? So if you're in the European Union and you really love your Kentucky bourbon, uh, start stocking up now uh-huh. because it might be. Suddenly, a lot more expensive um, if these uh, terror if these retaliation tariffs were to go through. Yeah, that's that's kind of uh, kind of scary for the industries again in Wisconsin. And and one I know you didn't mention cheese, but I've also heard that kind of thrown around that Wisconsin cheese might yeah. also suffer from some of these tariffs. So this is, yeah, where it's it's I mean yeah I I think that this certainly is not good for the state, and you see that reflected in the responses from. Uh, you know, from from Ron Johnson, from Scott Walker. Um, for our followers on Twitter, you might have noticed that we uh, recently retweeted uh, a tweet from Scott Walker uh, denouncing these these tariffs. Ron Johnson has made several statements to, those, um, to a similar effect. So this isn't just like a Democratic-Republican issue. This actually cuts across the party lines. That's there. right. That's right. I mean, this is actually, I mean... We won't get into too much detail because there's a lot of uh, really great national politics podcasts out there. But uh, I, I think that the consensus that I've heard is is that um, uh, there's a lot of Republicans out there that are not a big fan of these tariffs. And that mm-hmm. certainly bears out in our state, looking at our top Republicans. So are we going to see OG in bottles then next year because of these tariffs? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, if anyone from OG or if anyone from uh, uh, Milwaukee Brewing Company is listening... Uh, uh, feel free to, to reach out and let us know what you think about this situation. Uh, tweet at us. We're at at beers and ballots on Twitter. So, Stephen, to switch gears a little bit, uh, you want to talk about the juvenile justice system? Yeah, so this is a bill we've talked about a couple times already, mm. but it's just, it, it comes uh, at a time with a lot of other bills are really stalled and to get through the uh, 
the the legislature, um, in particular the the Senate. So in particular, uh, the bill that we're focused on, the article's focused on, is this uh, juvenile justice system bill. It actually passed unanimously in the state assembly. Um, but That's right, with, with bipartisan support. Yeah, yeah. totally. I mean, everyone was on board mm-hmm, with this, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem like it's going to pass the Senate. And one of the reasons for this is that the Senate majority leader just simply feels cut out of the process. Yeah, so this is Scott Fitzgerald, who we've mentioned a few yes. times on the podcast friend already. Friend of the pod, Scott Fitzgerald <laughs> is... Um, friend really, of the pod, yeah. <laughs> real upset with, uh, with how mm. things are going. He feels mm. like they've you know run around him, and so... He doesn't really want to support it at all. Hmm. Um, uh, he feels cut out of the process. He does say, however, that there's support for a more limited, simpler bill that would close this troubled prison, but would not sort of like distribute and uh, the the prisoners to other parts of the state. Would not do other juvenile justice reforms. And reforms, which I should say, are are really called for uh, by a lot of people in the, in the criminal justice um, um, community. So, so this more limited bill he thinks could pass the Senate, but. Of course, there's a catch. Okay. okay, so what's the catch? Okay, so the Senate is going to meet on March 20th. That's their last day. Okay. So they could vote for this. But if they passed a different version of the bill... It would have to go back to the Assembly. Which has already gone home. Oh, no. Well, so then... So what's, what's, what's the reasoning here? This is so confusing. I, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's got me beat. The assembly basically said, here, you know, take this bill, whatever, and then they all went home, it doesn't matter, and they said, we're not coming back, so no matter what. Um, and Scott Walker is in, in support of these bills, and so they're basically trying to pressure the Senate, I think, to pass the bills as written without doing any changes. Yeah, and also, I mean, it sounds like everyone is for this, with the exception of Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah, I mean, certainly there have been some concerns about, uh, particularly this... Um, juvenile justice bill, but it really, I think they, they tried to address a lot of those and they passed a bill that I think a lot of people liked in mm-hmm. the assembly. Um, Clearly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. So how does that work then? It would, it would, if it passed the Senate, they would have to wait a full six months or so yes. until, until it's back in session. So I'm, I'm not sure all the details. They might mm-hmm. be able to call a special, uh, special mm-hmm. um, committee, um, right. special, uh, yeah, a special, a special, special session. session. Yeah. Yes. But then of course that would be pulling everyone away from their reelection campaigns, right. <laughs> from their families in a lot of cases. Yes. That's, uh, I I'm wonder sure... which one of those is more, uh, <laughs> is yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure that makes, uh, Scott Fitzgerald a very popular person yes. on the Hill right now. <laughs> Yeah, so, and I should say, um, this is not the only bill like this. Um, recently, the state assembly has passed this tax credit we talked about. That's like right. Child tax yeah, credit. Yep. that's right. And and didn't Scott Fitzgerald also oppose that initially yep, as well? Exactly. Yeah. And also there's a new Scott school safety bill. So this is something mm. nationally we've seen wave of gun control and school yeah, safety issues yeah. come up. And um, in Wisconsin in particular, they're focusing on the school safety aspect of it. Right. They've passed a bill through the assembly, but again... Uh, Senate's not super on board with it, and really? they want to make some changes, and they would have to sort of drop it if um, if they don't pass mm-hmm. it as written mm-hmm. by the Assembly. Wow. So we'll have to see, um, you know, uh, expect uh, an update next podcast when the the final session, um, when the Senate is finally in session. That's right. Know, yeah. Actually, what happens with these different bills, if they end up going along with the Assembly version, or if they if they make some changes and force, uh, or at least try to force the Assembly to come back in. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so Adam, for this week's election preview, we're looking ahead to the gubernatorial election. The gubernatorial, but that's not until November. I know, I know, <laughs> but but it, the primaries are in August, and mm. there's so much to talk about here. So we thought we'd get an that's early true. start and and then update people as as the election gets closer. Fair enough. Okay, so of course. Uh, we're going to talk about Democrats and Republicans here. Mm-hmm. Let's start on the Democratic side. Yeah. Uh, there's a primary coming up August 14th. Mm-hmm. Um, and wow, it's a crowded one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how many, uh, currently, how many uh, people are running for uh, governor on the Democratic side? Four at least 14? 14, yeah. Uh, at least Potentially 14. up to 17, depending on exactly when the filing dates and stuff like that. Yeah, happens. yeah. Wow. That is a crowded field, like yes. you said. Wow. <laughs> um, so um, the current front runner here is Tony Evers, mm-hmm. uh, the state superintendent. So this is a statewide position, nonpartisan. Um, he's polling at uh, roughly 20-ish percent depending on the polls you look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of other people, Matt Flynn, um, Dana Walks, Andy Gronick, Paul Soglin, Mahon uh, Mitchell, Kathleen Weinholt, and Mike McCabe are all at in the single digits. Mm. Um, okay, but and, so, and, and Tony Evers is not. He's in yeah. the yeah, he double, in double digits. digits. Oh, he's in yeah. the double digits. <laughs> yes, uh, barely. And right. uh, then you've got between 30 and 45% of the people are undecided. So most of the people are undecided. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, uh, and, and so I'm looking at these. So it looks like there's two polls right now. There's one from the public po- uh, public policy polling and one from uh, Marquette Law School. And the margin of error is there. I got to note this out. Margin of errors is actually... So Marquette Law School one, which is the more recent one. This is uh, over the taken over the course between uh, February 25th and March 1st. The margin of error is plus or minus 7.1%. Yes. So many of these candidates really right. have no idea. So you said actually. that most of the candidates were in the single digits. Yes. Doing the math there, it seems like many of these people might have, in fact, negative percentage. Hey, 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 hey. Or double digits. <laughs> or double digits. Or double digits, right? Who yeah, knows? I guess yeah. that's true. It could go. And and you're absolutely right. The undecided uh, vote share is, is pretty pretty enormous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so in that poll, it was 45%. And so really, it seems yeah. like a lot of people are not able to pick a candidate out of this very crowded field, as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of different state, um, different people who have on different positions currently, state reps, things like that. And I I think we'll talk more about them as, as the field shakes out but um yeah it's it's really looking really crowded they're trying anything they can to to stand out from the field they're starting to get a few endorsements from different uh state reps mm-hmm. um and they're starting to do a couple different forums but i think for a lot of people it's just um the name recognition for most of these candidates is quite low and there just hasn't been enough um, sure. uh enough time to really to stand out sure well like you said the the primary is until august so there's a lot of time for things to change people to drop out more people to add mm-hmm. more uh more people becoming more and more popular so we'll definitely keep an eye on that as as, as we go on yeah and I, I encourage people who are are interested in some of these candidates you can check out ballotpedia mm-hmm. or wikipedia they'll have they have lists of the current candidates left running start getting a sense of the different candidates if you're if you're interested in trying to trying to decide uh, ahead of time yeah absolutely absolutely yep. and then of course we have yeah. the other side <laughs> yeah things. yeah yeah governor scott walker so uh right now he is i mean so i we, we've covered a lot of uh walker stories uh, in the past month or two and that's uh and, and a lot of times we sort of view those stories in the lens of what's he doing 
to try and get reelected, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that is sort of his primary concern. And one thing that we've noticed um, uh, again and again is his desire to uh, uh, push this sort of vision of Wisconsin as, as pro-business, right? There's the big... I think the the big issue is this Foxconn deal. Now, to remind some of our our listeners, this is a deal made with uh, the company Foxconn, uh, which is a a company headquartered in Taiwan. It's primarily known for uh, creating uh, like screens on smartphones and things like that. Um, And there's recently a deal passed in which they would build this new factory in the uh, Fox River Valley in Wisconsin. and in order to, to ensure that that factory is built, Scott Walker made a deal to give them a lot of tax breaks. And so this has been a very divisive deal that Scott Walker has made, um, but it's something that he is running on, right? This is his, his vision of Wisconsin is this uh, open for business, right? So, yeah. Yeah, so, so right now, I mean, of course, we've seen a wave Democratic uh, nationwide, mm-hmm. um, but Scott Walker is a tested Candidate. I mean, he's won three times in a row. Yeah, the last right. three elections. One of them was a recall. Election. One of them was a recall. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, the current rating, different pundits are saying this is lean Republican or likely Republican still. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, so to talk about his his last um, few races, um, back in two thousand fourteen, he won against Mary Burke, a mm-hmm. Democratic, um, the Madison School Board. Um, um, a representative of mm-hmm. the Madison School Board and a former executive at Trek Bicycles. Mm-hmm. And he won there 42.3% to 46.6%. Sorry. He won there 52.3% to 46.6%. Yeah. 2012, uh, he beat uh, Tom Barrett, 53.1%, 46.3%. And 2010, hey, he beat Tom Barrett again. So, so <laughs> yeah. originally in 2010, he, lost, he beat Tom Barrett uh, about the same, 52.2 to 46.5. And then there was a recall election and Tom Barrett went up again and actually they increased the margin over Tom Barrett in the recall. Yeah, so so yeah. T- tell us a bit more about that recall. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I was, I was here, you know, I'm a, I'm a native of Wisconsinite and I was here uh, uh, during that. And it was really an incredible... Process and I think like you know I, I could talk for hours on the recall <laughs> process alone, but um, I mean I think regarding the numbers that you see that after the recall his numbers actually went up by about a percentage point. Some of that you can attribute to the fact that uh, there were fewer you know third party candidates and so therefore you know maybe he picked up a few people on the margins. Mm-hmm. But I think also part of it was the fact that um, a lot of people in Wisconsin didn't. Clearly, didn't think that the um, recall election was warranted. So the recall election was based off of this idea that um, it was based primary, uh, primarily off of this notion that um, this union busting that he did pretty much straight out the gate. Right? Mm-hmm. I think Act Ten, this thing that people might have heard of. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, that this this was a, a very very controversial thing, and I think. Um, uh, uh, the recall election was based off of this idea that, you know, well, like this isn't really within your rights. You should really like people had no way of knowing that you were going to do this. We should have a recall election. But the, the contrary to their argument, which apparently won out is no, no, pe- people knew, right? This is what he campaigned on. Mm-hmm. And maybe people weren't paying attention because it was 2010 and 
Not that many Democrats have paid attention to the uh, this off-year election, uh, and you saw this nationwide, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but people knew, and uh, I think the Wisconsin decided, no, this, this guy won fairly, and so he should get to stay in office. Yeah, so, I mean, being an incumbent is a huge advantage. I mm-hmm. should say that he won 2010. That was really a Republican wave year in response to Absolutely. the 2008 election. Absolutely. So it would be interesting to see if now, 2018, we're getting a wave in response to the 2000, uh, 2016 election, um, if if this is enough to, to overcome the incumbency advantage and really his natural campaigning. And, and not to mention the fact that, you know, we talked about this crowded primaries. I mean, mm-hmm. Scott Walker has been out there. The name recognition is almost 100%, I imagine, in the state. Mm-hmm. He's just been campaigning all alone, thinking about the general for years, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, whereas the Democratic... Uh, Democratic candidates have to fight amongst themselves and, and really try to stand out first. And so... Yeah, no, and that's, I mean... If you think about August to November, it's not that long a time, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I guess hopefully the the crowd will kind of thin a little bit by the time we get to to August. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think that it's really important that whoever for for the Democratic Party, whoever they put up, is a very strong candidate because yes. I think that has been a criticism in the twenty ten. And 2014, certainly in 2012, right, when it was the same person who he <laughs> lost against and they put him up against, right, uh, that's been a big criticism is there hasn't been a very strong uh, uh, Democratic candidate. Well, and I should say, I mean, um, you can you can like or not like the other candidates, but in the past there just hasn't been this, this um, um, swell of candidates. So Mary yes. Burke only had one other opponent in the primary. Um, you know, uh, many people liked her candidacy, but apparently, you know, statewide was not No, enough. yeah, absolutely. But, I, I um, don't mean to, to disparage yeah, either either one of the right, candidates. Right. It's more just commenting on the fact that clearly they didn't have enough support because yes, they both yes, lost. Yeah. Yes, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. hopefully with, you know, <laughs> if anything with 17, hopefully we can find at least one that, that is good. Well, you know, that's been hoped before, <laughs> I guess. I'm thinking about the uh, Republican national uh, 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 primaries oh, for yeah. president. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the OG talking about. Yes. <laughs> okay, Adam, what's your next article today? So, yeah, so this is actually, uh, the, this article is about uh, uh, the environmental impacts that have been hitting Wisconsin recently. Um, in particular, the, so this all kind of ties into this, uh, this Foxconn uh, plant that's being built. Um, so, uh, uh, there's been recent evidence, uh, scientific evidence collected that, um, Wisconsin is violating these, these new, uh, emission standards for smog. Um, and, uh, in response to that, the, the DNR officials are arguing that there is, um, some funniness going on. So this is their Mm -hmm. argument. So they say, yes, we are above these emission, these new emission standards. However, um, they claim that uh, that the pollution is actually coming from uh, from in Illinois and Indiana. I see. So they're just pointing fingers, blaming. Someone well, else. right. So I mean, it makes so at, at some level it makes sense, right? Their wind is a thing that exists, right? Huh, and okay. so you have a lot of plants in in Illinois, especially Indiana, right? I don't know if you were driven through Gary and Indiana, yep, yep. but you know it's a thing. And so uh, uh, the wind blows up. And it blows the smog from these other neighboring states into Wisconsin. And they claim that that is the main source for their pollution. Mm. Um, 
And so they are the the Wisconsin DNR is petitioning the uh, the national EPA um, headed by Scott Pruitt um, to to uh, to create a, a sort of um, a carve out for this particular area by uh, Lake Michigan where this Foxconn plant is supposed to be built. Now, in response to that, um, uh, Janet McCabe, uh, who, no relation to Mike McCabe, the, uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, Democratic candidate for governor, uh, uh, Janet McCabe, who is, has helped develop some of the new smog standards um, uh, as within the EPA during the Obama administration, um, basically says, well, wait a second, whether or not you created this smog, the smog is there, right? And so that's no reason to build a new plant, right? It, it doesn't really matter where the smog came from. Sure, it might not be your fault, but it doesn't really matter at a certain, at a certain point. You still can't make the problem worse by building a new factory that's going to increase the I see, I see. Levels. I see. Yeah. So, so maybe there's some some idea that hey, you're just using this smog that as an opportunity to pollute even more. Well, right. I mean, yeah. So I think I think the argument is, you know, on on uh, on the Republican side, right? The argument is, it's not our fault that the smog is here. There's no reason that we should have to add in all these extra oh, protections on this new plant, right? So this new plant, this this would have a lot of economic impacts, is is what they're saying. So, mm -hmm. for instance, uh, DNR Secretary Daniel Meyer says, uh, "quote EPA's intended designations threaten Wisconsin's economic engine wow. and could result in severe and unnecessary economic consequences." You know, it's, it's nice that they say engine because engines also produce a lot of smog. <laughs> so it seems like a fitting That's analogy. True. Here. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, and I think this gets to this sort of you know thing that uh, this. This approach that Scott Walker is certainly taking towards, you know, Wisconsin right now is we are this economic engine where we're churning mm -hmm. out all these jobs and stuff. But uh, I think this kind of highlights that maybe there's uh, uh, more to uh, more to consider than just the number of, of jobs. Specifically, in this very practical case, there's the emissions are caused by the factories of, of this uh, Foxconn facility, this proposed Foxconn facility. Right, so should we look for this uh, to potentially stop the Foxconn deal, or what's going to happen? Well, to yeah, I mean, I think I think the worst case scenario for uh, f for this this effort to build this facility is that there would need to be more money put in to manage the um, the environmental impact of this plant. I see. However, um, it's. I, in my opinion, it's very likely that the EPA will make these requested carve-outs. Um, Scott Pruitt is sort of an, who, who is the current head of the EPA, um, is pretty notable in his laissez-faire attitude towards pollution, um, and so and and this was I mean this was intentional, right? This was sort of the uh, the point of of putting him in charge of the EPA is specifically for situations like this, right? I see. So, uh, you know, the uh, the Wisconsin DNR can say, hey, look, we have this sort of flimsy excuse as to why, um, why we shouldn't have to deal with these uh, uh, protections. And now the, the probable outcome here is the EPA will say, okay, yeah, sure, you can build the plant however you want to build it. I see, yeah. I see.
So, Stephen, bring us home. You've got a, a, a nice light story to kind of bring us up. Is yes, that right? yes. So, <laughs> we're talking about uh, one of Wisconsin's U.S. Senators, Ron Johnson, recently elected back in 2016, mm-hmm. uh, won by about 4% points. Um, he was on a radio show called The Devil's Advocates in Madison. <laughs> Good. Um, yeah. Just, you know, I'm not sure exactly what they were talking about, but I know... Uh, the issue of gun restrictions came up, and mm. one of the national uh, restrictions proposed recently is upping the age at which people can buy guns from 18 to 21. Yeah, yeah, and this this is not the light part of the story. This no. is a very serious thing. This is very serious. Yeah. So, but of course, he said, "Hey, we're sending 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds to Afghanistan," and I, and I quote, "and they're dying over there and sacrificing their lives. They ought to be able to vote. Uh, no, they they ought to be able to vote. They ought to be able to have a beer, and they ought to be able to buy a gun." Wait. Wait, wait, wait a second. Yes. They ought to be able to do what now? Okay, vote. Yep. Buy a beer mm-hmm. and have a gun. Uh, okay, so you said 18 through 21-year-olds. That's right. Last time I checked, 18 through 21-year-olds, well, 18 through 20-year-olds can't buy beer. Well, so he was asked about this point, uh, and he, his response <laughs> was, can't they do that now? <laughs> Quote, and I quote, what is the age nowadays? <laughs> so um, they told him it was 21, and uh, he said, yikes, that's a battle we fought when I was young. So, <laughs> wait. <laughs> yeah, so. He's one of the two state senators, and he does not know what the drinking age and, is. And I should say, every, every single state has 21 right now. And this is a good point. So it's actually not a federal law. It is a state law. Right. Um, okay, that's and, true. And, and so some... Some uh, some history lesson here for for uh, listeners who don't know. Um, traditionally, the drinking age was twenty one across mm. the states because the voting age was also twenty one. Mm. And um, actually, the twenty sixth amendment uh, passed and ratified in nineteen seventy one lowered the voting age to eighteen nationwide. Huh. And so people thought, hey, well, our our drinking age was the same as our voting age, so they lowered it to eighteen in many states. In many states, but yes. not all. Not all states. That's that's right. Um, and so Wisconsin was one of those states. Uh, most states actually had it around 18, and, and many states were in between. Uh, but of course, uh, there was a lot of problems with drunk driving. Alcoholism was a huge problem. Sure. And there was a big national push just to go state by state and increase this to 21. That's right. There, there were blood borders, right, where people from, from say, Illinois, this, this was a very common occurrence, from Illinois driving to Wisconsin, and there were a lot of crashes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and then driving back, right? So blood, the term blood borders. Was, oh, I, I didn't yeah. know that term, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, different states mm-hmm. with different ages. Um, mm-hmm. And finally, uh, a national bill came through. So now 10% of all highway funding is tied to your drinking age law. So it has to be 21. So no state has wanted to sort of change this. And Wisconsin... Well, uh, it's not not so recent. Uh, they changed their laws in 1986. 1986. And so Ron Johnson, and Ron Johnson is 62 years old. And so if I'm doing the math right, that means that for more than half of his life, yes. the drinking age has been over 21. That's right. And in fact, you might say, well, hey, he's, you know, okay, hey, he's over 21 already he sure. doesn't care oh but but does he have any children adam <laughs> i yes so he does in fact have three children the oldest of which was born in 1984 so so 
you know, you, this must be something that as a parent you know what the drinking age this is. This probably came up at some point, yeah, I would imagine. Um, so I should say he, he tried to save himself here by saying that he would support lowering the drinking age to 18. Really? Yeah. So the, he's, he's defending his ignorance by actually, like, proposing policy? Yes. So you, you, you laugh, but there's actually been, in the last few years, there has been some proposals like this in Wisconsin, but also in other states, in particular uh-huh. states with a lot of college students. The idea here is that if they lower it to 18, they can kind of control the drinking a little bit more. It's become legal. Yeah. They, students don't binge drink, and instead they do it more at bars. And yeah, like yeah. Well, and plus there's the added revenue. I'm actually kind of surprised that it's only 10% of the federal yeah. funding. I, I was too. I, I wonder if that, that amount has changed recently. That was certainly in the original bill. But, but I mean, I mean, highways... People love their highways, so you wouldn't want to miss out on any cent yeah. of highway funding. Well, Ron Johnson and fans of Ron Johnson, do the math and actually figure out, see if you can figure out how much money would be <laughs> I mean, tourism alone, right? Not to mention all the extra, I mean, we, we have University of Wisconsin-Madison, which has, you know, a bunch of 18 through 20-year-olds. I'm sure that local businesses yeah. would love to, to get their business. This is not an endorsement of any specific policy. This is just <laughs> sort of... Uh, you know, wanting to get all the facts. <laughs> yeah, something to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, something to think about while you're drinking your uh, OG, maybe. Or yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, Stephen, this is probably the most alcoholic beer we've had on this podcast. Oh, for sure. Yes, <laughs> quite good. Uh, highly recommended. Mm-hmm. So, Stephen, I am very much so enjoying this OG. But looking to the future, what's up for next week? Okay, so Adam, next week we're going to bring it hyper-local. We're going to do Working Draft Brewing Company. I've uh, never heard of Working Draft Yes, actually, company. so they've been brewing for a little while, but they just opened to the public uh, just about a week ago. Oh, so my So they're God. really new. Wow. Yeah, uh, they're in Madison, um, and they have a great tap room you should check out. Um, and we're going to be drinking their West Coast IPA. Okay. So listeners at home, you can't find this in bottles or cans <laughs> anywhere yet. But right. if you're in Madison, you can head on down to the tap room. Uh, you know, put in your podcast headphones. Uh, you know, turn us on. Leave us a rating or review, and enjoy some West Coast IPA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe see if you can convince uh, the people working there to put us on the loudspeakers. That's you right. Know? Yeah, <laughs> increase the listenership. Well, great. Okay, so next week, uh, Working Draft Beer Company's West Coast IPA. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Beers and Ballots on Twitter. Uh, We tweet every once in a while. It's pretty good. Uh, Until then, I'm Adam. And I'm Stephen. And we'll catch you all next week. I start you off. That OG is setting in. <laughs> it's fucking should, good. <laughs> should I should I make a comment on that like before the OG steps in too much? Like, what's the next article?